real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is Brady Mullen with Self-Employed Health. Can you give us a little bit of your background and history? So as it relates to the business aspect, boy, it started about 10 years ago. I have a daughter who is the sweetest thing on the planet, and she nearly lost her life. And here's a spoiler alert. Everything turned out fine. She's a healthy teenage girl now. But when she was a toddler, two years old, she was in diapers, had a vocabulary of maybe 50 words that were intelligible at that age. And I was a budding entrepreneur. I was trying to break out on my own. And when that happens, money's tight usually, right? You count pennies, you build spreadsheets to make good financial decisions. And it was a tough thing. So I had five kids at the time, still do, I guess. I haven't had more. That's already enough, right? So I have five kids. She was the fourth and her younger sister was an infant. Her older siblings were in school and it seems like any sickness that was going through the neighborhood or the school, we got because we had kids in school and pre-COVID, it's hard for us to imagine how kids go through school, but they are rubbing their noses and playing and touching each other, right? They just everything's communicable there. And so her older siblings, two of them had gotten a cold, gotten through it. They were kind of on the end of the cycle there. And then she caught it. And then just in the normal process as a parent, you think, okay, well, she's going to have a cold. No big deal. Like it's not pleasant, but it's no big deal. We know what to do. Give her rest, give her, you know, let her sleep, make her comfortable, read with her, whatever. Just she's a two-year-old with a cold, right? And a little background on this. So being the frugal preneur guy that I was and building spreadsheets to make financial decisions and things like that, I had purchased a, a health insurance plan for my family that was a catastrophic plan. And without going into all the details, the basic premise of the plan was you pay for what you need out of pocket until you reach your deductible. And then the insurance kicks in at like an 80-20 and then a, and then you have a max out of pocket, stuff like that. So for minor medical things, we were on our own, but if things got out of control, we'd get some help. And that sounds really good on paper. And that was that's what worked really well on the spreadsheets. The premium was low enough that even if one out of three years or one out of two years, I hit my deductible, we were still better off. And all the numbers made sense. And I, I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but that's what we decided to do as a family. And you know, sometimes I try to give myself more credit in business than I deserve. But thinking back, I don't really remember for sure, but thinking back, it was probably just what I could afford at the time. I try to say that, oh, it all made sense on spreadsheets. But there was a big component that was just what's the cheapest monthly premium I can pay to make sure that if somebody gets cancer, we can take care of it. But I really just can't afford monthly to address this. So again, now fast forward back to to where we were, my daughter's sick, got a cold. And here I am thinking, there's no way I'm taking her to a doctor because I know what she has, right? She's got a cold just like her brothers did. And she's going to get over it. And as entrepreneurs, we're plagued with optimism that can work against us when we're wrong. It's generally, I think, a good thing. But 
it can work against us. And we were tough. We worked through things and she's going to get better. But she didn't. She got worse and worse off. And by the time it was unquestionable, like something's not right here. And to my shame, it was really her mom that kind of insisted this isn't okay. And it's not like I wasn't willing to get her help. I was just so certain, I guess, or just too optimistic to really see it for what it was. And even on the way to the doctor's office, I was thinking, there goes 150 bucks. She's going to be okay. You know, I was starting to start to agree with my wife, like, yeah, this, she's not taking deep breaths. The cough is getting bad. They're probably just going to give her an antibiotic. Things will probably be fine, but we're probably doing the right thing, whatever, right? I was still, I was still thinking about money at the time, which is uh, shameful to admit. Like, I don't, I'll get to that later in the story. Like, I'm a changed man. But we get to the doctor, and that appointment lasted maybe five minutes. They put the oxygen reader on her finger, and it was in the 80s. And, you know, for children, anything under 95 is not okay. You need to do something. And anything in the 80s is like, there's a big problem. So they put that on her while they were just taking vitals. Like, the doctor didn't even look at her. When that happened, when that reader read that number, he looked scared, right? And that's not what you want to see on your doctor face. He says, you need to take her to the hospital. And, and <laughs> see, I'm having a hard time controlling this because this is my, you know, this is my kid. I'm, I'm supposed to protect her. I'm her dad. I'm infallible. I'm a superhero in her eyes. And I had, I made this huge, terrible mistake that was a, a huge problem. Anyway, so he says, you need to take her straight to the hospital, like go directly there. And so on the way to the hospital, we get there and they have a hard time getting an IV in her because her, her, well, she's little, right? She's two. And when you're not in good health, your blood flow slows and your veins get smaller and whatnot. And they, they had a hard time getting an IV in her, poked her four or five times. And at this point, she's completely lethargic. So when they're not feeling well, there's a little silver lining because they're very cuddly. But when it's this bad, you start to get scared. And so we're holding her. And every time somebody, you know, a nurse or a doctor walks into the room, you can feel her cringe and get close to you because she knows she's going to get poked again she's learned that and it just breaks your heart because you can't explain it to her and these are just shots like this gets worse so they're not able to get an iv in her and they say she needs to go to children's hospital there's nothing we can do she needs help from a, a specialist for children and they're like we can get the am we can order the ambulance but it's out you'll probably get there quicker if you just drive so we drove her to the children's hospital here in Denver. That's when I'm keeping it together because there's stuff I have to do, right? I have to take care of this. But inside, you know, things start to get really dark for me. I'm starting to panic. Not only we need to fix this, she needs to be okay, but also there's the back of my mind, the voice speaking to me like, you didn't make her sick, but this is partially your fault, dad. You should have done this differently. So we get to the hospital. Finally, they get an IV in her and they're starting to get some fluid in her. And then they, they take her in for imaging, x-rays, MRIs, and things. And it turns out that one of her lungs is completely collapsed. It's like this, this thin shred of tissue that you can barely see on the MRI because it's been completely compressed by fluid in her chest. And the other lung is about half capacity. And so she's breathing really shallow, no oxygen. She's looking terrible. And they call in a surgeon to do an immediate surgery. And this is, I think we started this venture at like 1030 at night, taking her to the doctor the first time. And so now we're, we're getting to like one in the morning, two in the morning, something like that. It, it's all a blur to me now, but they call a doctor and he comes in in the middle of the night and performs surgery on her. That's the time when I finally had a moment to just be alone with my thoughts while she was in the OR with the surgeon. And of course, like this is when I just completely break down, right? She doesn't need me now. So I can just sort of sit and wait for the doctor to do his job. And I'm a basket case, right? I'm just buckets of tears, feeling like the worst dad ever. I let my daughter down and she might not survive. Things are bad. I mean, the, the 
the hospital was panicking, the staff, panicking is the wrong word, but you could tell they were moving at a pretty quick clip because they recognized the emergency that it was. And I, I could have done something differently. So the, the good news is the surgery was a success, but she's this two and a half, three foot tall thing. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Three feet tall or so. And they took a liter of fluid out of her chest. And even the surgeon after the surgery, he came out to discuss it with us and said, Hey, everything went fine. I think it's going to be good. But I got to tell you, that was one of the more extreme cases that I've done. The ratio of fluid to the body size, that was pretty extreme. And so where she was at this point now, she's got a hole in the side of her chest that is still draining fluid because most of it comes out early, but it still takes a while to drain. So she's hooked up to this chest that's got a tube sticking in the side of her. And she's two, remember, right? And then lungs are not like, they're not spring loaded. They don't just automatically expand because the fluid is gone. They have to put something on your face to inflate your lungs, which is, that's what ventilators do. And from, from talking to doctors then and now still, it's being on a ventilator is no picnic. They, they say it feels like you're drowning. Like pa- even adult patients panic when that happens. And they know, and you can explain to an adult, like, this is going to suck, but it's going to save your life. But you can't tell that to a two-year-old. So she had to do that. I forget how many times a day, but it was a lot. She had to do therapy. They had to put this mask on her face that sealed around her face and compressed air went into her lungs to reinflate them, right? All this is good for her, but she's so confused and scared and she feels betrayed by her parents or whatever's going through a two-year-old kid's mind. And we're watching her do this and you can't explain to her why this is going on. And she's just, she's got a hole in her chest this whole time, right? She's completely miserable. And I remember at the time I went into the office because I had to, my wife at the time and I were spending time there and we had four other kids, right? One of them was an infant. Like this was a horrible time. I had a hard time driving sometimes back and forth because of the tears. I was such a wreck and tired, right? I wasn't sleeping. This was a a horrible moment for us. And so I went into work the next day or I hadn't even had time to tell my my friends what was going on or my work, my coworkers. And uh, I was in an office and my buddy who worked near me, he was like, hey, weren't you wearing those clothes yesterday? Just kind of as a jab because he had no idea what was going on. The last person that I would cry in front of was this guy. And I just broke down. I tried to tell him, yeah, my daughter's in the hospital. I probably got through three or four syllables of that sentence and I just lost it. And of course he, he meant no harm and he tried to see what he could do to help. And he was cool about it, but it was, it was awful. So she spent 10 days in the hospital that could have easily been avoided had dad just been a more perceptive or better dad or gotten help earlier or whatever. So the good news is that that story ends well in that I have a healthy daughter and I feel very grateful for that because there's, I'm sure there's people that have a story very similar to that, that did not end well. It did not end with the survival of a family member or themselves. And that changed everything for me. My reaction to a kid's sickness is very different now than it was before. But it also kind of got me on a mission like just because something works on a spreadsheet, that isn't that doesn't coincide with the human element. If I'm not going to a doctor because I can't spend $150 to get a doctor's opinion, that's a problem. That doesn't work for me. I need better access to care But I also still need it to be affordable because if it's too much, I couldn't afford a Cadillac plan at the time. But you still need to be able to talk to a doctor because people's lives are at stake. Very, very, you know, that's not an exaggeration in many cases. That's what built this passion into me. We don't go after these big companies and try to land, you know, 20, 30,000 employee companies 
and try to get healthcare so the business owners can save some money. And not, not that that's not important, but our mission was to make healthcare available to people who have a hard time getting it. I mean, that's the, the history. <laughs> that may be a lot more than you bargained for when you ask that question. That's what got me passionate about it and helping other people avoid that scenario that I was in so they don't have to learn the lesson the way that I had to learn it or worse. Wow. Yeah, that's quite the story. I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm glad she's okay now. What was it? Pneumonia or something? Her pleural cavity is what that's called. I would not have known that had that not happened. But yeah, her pleural cavity, which is the the cavity in her chest that her lungs sit in, filled up with fluid and compressed her lungs so she couldn't breathe. That's what pneumonia is. And yeah, completely avoidable. That could have been avoided. And, and instead, she spent 10 days in the hospital and was miserable. And, and I, I feel like I need to give a shout out to the members of our church group at the time. They were fantastic. That's, you know, I know that's not the purpose of this, but I would feel remiss if I didn't mention how amazing they were. They, they didn't ask if they could help. They just picked up the phone and rallied the troops, took the kids, took care of them, took them to their school, took them to activities, you know, tried to divert their attention, fed them. Uh, and we had an infant at the time. So they were running breast milk that my wife had pumped back and forth so that the infant had what she needed. I mean, it was, they were, I have a special place in my heart for her. <laughs> I have I'm a hard time keeping it together again. I got a special place in my heart for the people that helped us through that. It's great to have a support system like that. Yeah. So it was through this experience that you got this idea for self-employed health. Yeah. So our, our business is self-employed dot health. That's the name of the business and the URL. We worked with some providers to try to innovate something that would work for self-employed people. It's such a difficult and expensive thing to try to afford. That's just been our passion. I don't know if you want to go into the details of what that is. I mean, people can look at that online and that's important. And you know, just like any plan, it's not going to be a perfect fit for everybody. We're diligently looking for ways to improve it, but also offer other options that might fit other scenarios. But that's our mission and that's what we're working on. But that's where it lives and that's where people can learn more about it. Uh, and if you want to talk about the details, I'm happy to do that. But it's, you know, I, I think the story is probably more, I, I think people relate to that because it's like, you know, I'll mention this too, because maybe this will help because I have so much, well, I hear this a lot, especially from younger people. And I was the same way people think and often say out loud, I'm not sure really that I need anything. I'll just get a catastrophic thing because I never get sick. I'm healthy. I don't really get sick. And that's exactly what I said. And what I'm saying now to those people and to the former Brady, the guy I was 11 and a half years ago or so, give or take, is that, yeah, everybody's healthy until they're not healthy, right? Unless you get hit by a bus and die instantly, the, the only medical bill is the mortuary or whatever. I don't know if you call that a medical bill, but we're going to need help eventually. And if it's not us, it could very well be a family member. You can't control everything in your life. You can't control other people. You, you, you can't say, I won't get pneumonia. You could be very healthy and get pneumonia. You could be very healthy. I mean, we've had clients who have had, they run marathons and they have this out of the blue stroke or this something grows funny on their lymph node or who knows. I, don't, I shouldn't say I hate hearing it, but whenever I hear people say, I don't know what I need. I'm going to be a little, take a little more risk and buy something or not buy something or whatever, because I'm healthy. Like that's kind of a dangerous way to go about it because that's like saying, well, I don't need a seatbelt because I don't get in crashes. And it's like, well, yeah, but when one's coming, it's too late. You can't make that decision then. I will say just because I know that what people are thinking when they hear, well, if something has good coverage or if it's comprehensive, it's going to be expensive. But the, the pricing is fixed. It's three nineteen a month for an individual. It isn't a fantastic deal. If you're 20, 25, you can, might find something similarly priced. But that price doesn't change no matter your age. So for you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s, 60s, 
know, 319 month is fantastic. And that's for one person. For two people, it would be twice that. But for a family, it's not twice that. They blend in the kids. So the pricing is very affordable, very doable. And it gives you 24-7 access to care without a copay for primary care. So you can call a doctor anytime. You can do a, a video conferences with doctors 24-7, 365, unlimited, no copay. You can go see a primary care doctor. Uh, there's no copay for that. It even includes chiropractic, things like that. And what I was after, based on my experience, was that people need access to doctors in early stages. Because not only, I mean, the industry is kind of going toward that anyways, because they've realized if you don't see a doctor because you can't afford to see a doctor, then instead of having a $150 bill, you might have a $120,000 bill, which is what the bill ended up being for my daughter. I mean, I had insurance, I had that catastrophic plan. So we were out of pocket like $12,000 or something like that, which was meaningful to me, but at least it wasn't 120000 So we want people to have access so that if I could have called a doctor and known it wasn't going to cost me 150 bucks and said, hey, my daughter's breathing kind of funny or she's got this cold, what do you think? And the doctor can say, well, it might be a cold, but if she doesn't improve by this or give her this and you know, let me know, let's follow up, let's see how it goes. You know, you've got a doctor's opinion that you don't have to worry about how much it's costing to talk to the doctor. And then if it's something serious, you go and take care of it. And if it's not, then at least you have the peace of mind knowing that you've got a professional giving you an opinion about what could possibly be your child's life or your own life or health or whatever. You know, there's no amount of success that you can have that is worth dying for or losing a family member for, or even just having a, a chronic illness that you could have avoided had you taken it seriously earlier, there's no amount of success that can offset that. So you have to take that seriously. It's your most important asset is your ability to work and live and enjoy life. For a lot of entrepreneurs who are trying to build a business on the side, I think there's a lot of hesitancy to leave their full-time job, maybe not even so much for the income, but for the benefits like the health insurance. And, and I mean, that's one reason why I still have a full-time job because actually this is uncommon, but at my work, they pay for the health insurance. So it's completely free. I know that's not the case for most people, but regardless, they usually are only paying what one, $200 maybe a month for their insurance. And I think a lot of people, first of all, don't even know that there are health plans or health options for self-employed people, or they assume it's way too expensive. And so they just keep going with their day job or whatever. I mean, I didn't even know until I looked at your website and I was like, oh, wow. So something like this does exist. I kind of wondered. So I think that's awesome. I would echo what you're saying. It's Yeah, it's really common for people to stick around in a job that they don't really want, but they need the health benefits. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a sad human condition. Fortunately, I do like my job. But yeah, I think a lot of people do stick with their job just for that. And if that's the only reason you're staying, I don't think that's... I didn't mean to imply that about you. I just, I just do yeah. hear that a lot where people keep working or maybe they'd even consider retiring or chasing a dream that they would like to pursue, but they don't because the health mm -hmm. system is... I mean, frankly, the, the system is broken. The doctors and nurses are doing their best and they're in a... And even administrators, they're doing their best, but they're in a system where it's gotten kind of out of control and we've piecemealed it together for so long that it's, it's become this really unwieldy problem that really just needs to be simplified. The service or the, the plan that we offer, what I really like about it, we work with some providers on putting this together and, and they deserve a lot of the credit, but it really is just rethinking it from the ground up, right? If somebody tasked you and me, Sarah, with there wasn't such thing as this backward compatible beast that's been created, which is the insurance industry, the health insurance industry specifically. If somebody said, hey, Sarah, Brady, 
we want you to get some smart people together and figure out how to pay for healthcare when it's expensive for people, then we would probably wouldn't come up with the system that exists today, right? If we started from scratch, we would come up with something more intelligent. And uh, that's kind of how the providers that we worked with approach this, where it's like, what would we do if we just had to solve this problem from scratch? So there's no networks, right? That network issue, you don't have to worry about whether your doctor's in network or out of network. The cost is very reasonable. The out-of-pocket is also reasonable. It's like $1,000. So if I were, had that happened, had I used that plan when that had happened to my daughter, first of all, we probably would have avoided it altogether because I would have been able to call somebody right away rather than hesitating to try to save $150. Rather than hesitating, I would have called a doctor right away because it didn't cost me anything. I'd say, hey, can you talk? This is what's going on with my daughter. Can you talk to me? Is this okay? Is this normal? Can we check in in 12 hours or 24 hours and see if it's better? So we might've been able to avoid it altogether. But had it gotten to that stage, I'd have been out of pocket a thousand bucks, not twelve thousand dollars, and that's a that was a huge difference. I mean, that's a big difference for me now. Still, like that's I don't want to spend an extra ten or eleven thousand dollars. But I was in a place there. I mean, it took me time to pay off that amount. It took us a few years. We put it on a, a financing plan. So, I mean, that's a lot of money for people who are trying to strike out on their own and create a business. It's a lot. This is thought from the ground up. It's rethought. We use the term rethink a lot. I've never really used that much in the past tense, but it's kind of healthcare rethought, rethunk. <laughs> Reimagined or something. There you go. Yeah. It's just what would we have done had we been tasked to solve this problem from scratch mm-hmm. today? Okay, so like regular doctor visits and things like that, or there's no copay or anything. So the $1,000 would be more like if you were hospitalized or needed surgery or something like that. Yeah, that's correct. So that's a good summary. I mean, there's some nuances that we don't need to get into here, but that's correct. And the nuances are like, it's not just hospitalization. Like if you need a specialist, you may not go to a hospital if you need to talk to an oncologist, but that would also be a scenario where you'd be out of pocket $1,000 to to have that cancer treated. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but we don't need to get into the weeds on that. But for the most part, yeah. So for primary care, and we're talking labs, x-rays, doctor visits, no copay. There's no barrier to go and see somebody. And if you need surgery or you need intervention with a specialist or something like that, then your out-of-pocket is uh, $1,000 or hospitalization, like you mentioned, 1000 bucks. Uh, And the way they do it, I I like this too, because it's a little different than the industry norm, is it's not $1,000 per year, it's $1,000 per accident or illness. So if that had happened to my daughter you know, while I was using this plan, I'd have been out $1,000. But if it had happened in, say, December, and her recovery, you know, doc- follow-up doctor visits, follow-up stuff, if that had bled over into the next year, I'd have had a new deductible that had reset. But this doesn't do that. It's like, hey, she got pneumonia. All the hospital bills associated with her sickness that are tied into that, you're out of pocket $1,000. The rest is paid for. So it's $1,000 per incident, not per year, with a max out-of-pocket of $3,000 a year for a family. So if there are two or three incidents, well, three or more incidents, and you're out-of-pocket, once you hit $3,000 in a given year, then you're done. But it's $1,000 per incident. And, and to my knowledge, I don't know if we've had anybody have three incidents in a given year. I mean, it's mm-hmm. pretty rare. But there's that stopgap so people know that it's not going to go forever. And if you had to have something done that was under a thousand, let's say it was seven hundred, would you just pay the seven hundred, or would it be a thousand? You'd be responsible for the cost up okay. to a thousand dollars if it was possible. So, an example of that might be if you were at a dermatologist and they wanted to biopsy something, that might be six or seven hundred dollars. And because that's a specialist and it's not primary care, that's dermatology, you'd end up paying that. But it would go towards your annual 
max out of pocket, mm-hmm. right? So even still, three thousand dollars. People are used to deductibles that are like ten grand, yeah. crazy. And well, that's just the way the industry mm-hmm. has evolved, and it's clunky now. And as far as prescription, do you have to pay out of pocket for that? Is there any kind of prescription coverage? The way the prescriptions are handled is it's a heavily discounted plan that you would pay for, but it still applies to the annual out-of-pocket. So if you need a generic prescription like a statin or something like that, yeah, you know, you'd get it for a buck or two because those have been around forever. They're cheap. You can get generic versions of those. But if you were on, you know, if you needed a prescription that was more, then you would still be paying for that because that's not primary care, but that would go towards your $3,000 annual out of pocket. Fortunately, I don't have any prescriptions that are that expensive, but I know of people who have cancer pills and stuff that are like 20,000 or something ridiculous a month, I think. So I guess then in that situation, the most you'd be paying per year is 3,000. Yeah, um, your max out of pocket per year would be 3,000 and the prescriptions go toward okay. that. So you can sort of, people need to know that there's a point at which it, it doesn't go to infinity, mm-hmm. right? I know that yeah, I might be out of pocket a thousand. And if you say, well, it's a thousand per incident. Well, what if I have 10 incidents in my family? You know, somebody gets sick, somebody's got appendicitis, somebody has a heart attack. That's extremely unlikely, but still our, our minds always go to the worst case scenario, but there's that stop gap to, so people can be comfortable knowing that, Hey, if, if the, you know, what hits the fan, the worst case scenario is going to be mm-hmm. three grand. Yeah, that's really good. So is it only for self-employed people? Like, do you have to be self-employed in order to be on this plan? No. So we don't have any kind of criteria that enforces that part of it. That's just who we are aiming to help. But there's a lot of people who work for small businesses or whatever that still need to get something for themselves. And we certainly don't exclude them. There's no requirement. It's not like they have to be a member of some guild or (laughs) I like that word. I don't know why. They don't have to prove self-employment. That's just who we're aiming to help with it. That's our target market, but it doesn't, we don't even ask. It's available. You, just, you go online, check it out. I would highly encourage people to watch the videos because it has been rethunk, reimagined. It works a little differently than traditional insurance. It's not a plan where you walk into the doctor, show them a card and walk away. They highly encourage you because the industry is so backward. I mean, you can get an MRI for 260 bucks in metro areas in the country and from professional imaging places. But hospitals can charge you $5,000 for the same equipment, the same process. uh, And that happens all, all the time. So this plan that, you know, they've got a group of administrators and concierge people that, you know, that one of their big requirements is if you need, if it's an emergency, that's different, right? Go get your your finger sewed back on or whatever at the hospital. But in all non-emergency situations, please call us first because we we want to make sure that you're not being charged $5,600 for something that costs 260 bucks. Mm-hmm. They want to help facilitate that, get the right care, and they don't want to, that's another story, but they're not incentivized to not give you the care that you need. They don't make profits by not giving you the care, but they are still stewards over that pool of money that's designated for people's care. And we could talk about the incentives later, but it's very well thought out in the sense that they're not going to tell me I can't get the care that I need, because that saves them money or reduces their expenses. They don't profit from that. They're stewards of that pool of money. It's not an emergency. Please let us help you set that up to make sure we don't get into a situation where a doctor's charging $56,000 for a cortisone shot or something that should be five or 600 or something reasonable. So they need to get ahead of it. In non-emergency situations, they need to get ahead of that so that they make sure that the medical facilities aren't 
charging unreasonable mm-hmm. rates. So then when you actually go to that appointment or procedure, how does that work? Do you have a card that you show them or how does the billing work? Is there some kind of reimbursement or do they file with self-employed health or how does that work? In an emergency situation, I'm just going to set that aside because in an emergency situation, you go get the care that you need and we pick up the pieces mm-hmm. afterward. But the member is not responsible for paying the bill and then trying to fight to get reimbursed. When you call the concierge, they don't tell you what doctors you must use, by the way. So if you if you hurt your knee or something and you don't have a, a relationship with a doctor, right? It's not this chronic condition. You just hurt your knee. So you need to see somebody that helps with knees. So you can call the concierge and they'll say, all right, here's these providers in this area. Here's some that we recommend. We've worked with them before. Or They'll say, if you have somebody, we can talk to them too. They're not going to restrict who you can use for any reasonable. I mean, they might restrict. They might say, this guy's charging six times what everybody else is charging in the area. Don't use them like that. They're gouging. But it's not because they're not going to restrict who you can use based on some kind of arbitrary network that gets really complicated that you have to deal with. They get ahead of it. They contact them and say, hey, we've got Sarah. She's got this knee issue. She's going to come in. We don't know what it is. Or maybe they do know what it is because they've also... Well, I don't need to go into the details with that, but they have doctors on staff for primary care. So if you had called the doctor, well, let's just go through an example, why don't we, rather than being arbitrary about it. So let's say you were out for a jog or something and slipped and rolled your ankle and you're not sure if it's broken or not, but it hurts and you need to do something about it. So you call redirect, you know, it's not emergency room kind of hurt ankle. It's just, you know, you're limping like this doesn't feel right. So you call redirect health, which is the provider of the primary care or the, the virtual services and say, hey, something's not right. I need to get this taken care of. And they'd say, okay, sounds like we need an x-ray. Pretty straightforward. We're going to order you an x-ray. And we see that you live at 123 Sesame Street. There's three imaging facilities within two miles of your home. So they're going to say, all right, there's these three or four areas in, in your area. This one, we've called a couple of them and this one's available. They're open and they're ready to see you. And they're two minutes away. Go get the x-ray. We've ordered it. They know what picture to take. They know what to do. It won't cost anything. They've already set that up in advance and they're going to pay the bill. They'll say, all right, here's where you can go. Go get it done. Because an x-ray in, in the hospital, they're going to charge 350 bucks for that. But you could go to an, like a, a Simon Med or an imaging facility near your home and you know what they charge for x-rays, Sarah? Do you have any idea? I don't mean to put you on the spot. My point is here, like nobody knows, but it's like 30 bucks, oh, 40 wow. bucks. Huh. It's not expensive. That's old technology, right? They were doing x-rays in the 40s mm. and 50s. That's not new stuff. An x-ray is really cheap, but in the emergency room or even in urgent care facilities, they charge whatever they can get away with. And why wouldn't they? Mm. So if you needed an x-ray, they would call and say, all right, there's an imaging facility near your home. And these aren't like in alley imaging. We're talking like panoramic and Simon Med and like these are these are medical facilities they take care of the bill they send you in there they send what images they need they have the radiologist looks at it gives the report and then that doctor says you know we'll get back on the phone with you on a video 10 minutes later and say all right we got the images we're going to look at this and it looks like it's not broken here's some pain medication we'll send it to whatever pharmacy you want tell us what you need they'll take care of it they're the doctors not me right but if it were broken then they'd say, okay, we need to do something about this. Let's look at surgeons in your area that specialize in this, that are well-rated and that don't gouge. We need to fix this system. And part of that means pushing back when people try to charge $50,000 for something that everybody else is charging $10,000 for. So they're going to help facilitate that and make sure that you get the care that you need and that the group of all of us that are contributing to the system aren't being taken advantage of. And they facilitate that. You don't have to worry about the bill 
you know, they're going to take care of that. But you would be responsible for the first thousand dollars, of course, in that situation, because it's not primary care anymore. But that's how it would work in like a broken ankle example. Oh, wow. And, and, and so there's no network. So you can see whatever doctor you want, as long as they're not charging an arm and a leg. And you can use whatever hospital, I guess, if you needed to go to the hospital. You're not dealing without a network. Well, I mean, I guess it wouldn't, I mean, if it's just a flat 1000, you wouldn't have that issue. So yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad something like this exists and that I know about it now. Yeah. Refreshing. It's just a better way of dealing with it. In fact, kind of a funny thing that we run across a lot is because it doesn't work like insurance, what people are used to, the traditional insurance plans, it makes people a little bit uncomfortable. And then you ask them, well, what do you like about your insurance plan that you're hanging on to so much? It's sort of like, you know, that monkey with his or her hand in the jar. You know, that story that people talk about where the monkey won't let go of that even to save his own life. You know that metaphor? Yeah. I've heard that from different sources. So I think it's pretty popular, but yeah, people hold on to this thing that they admittedly hate, but, and I get that, right? We get, and, and health is not something to be trivial about, right? I, I, of all people, sympathize with that. So I understand that it's hard to let go of something that we're used to, even if we hate it, because it's sort of the devil that you know and the devil that you don't. So, but I, I can tell you, I don't work for the providers. In essence, our role in all of this is we're, we're a marketing arm. Like we helped put it together, we helped make it available for self employed people. But I'm not the doctor and I'm not the one that runs the call center and the concierge team. That's a group that's been doing something similar to that for quite a while. We just kind of packaged it in a way to make it accessible to self-employed people. I get that it's hard for people to switch, but as soon as we put this together, I was the first. I was like, that's better than what I use. I was with Kaiser. I don't know how you guys have Kaiser in Dallas. I don't know. It's a unique kind of, they're sort of like this closed system where they try to do everything in-house. Anyway, they're fine. They're good, but it's different. So. I put it together and I knew the people, so it was easier for me to make that jump. So that's not as easy for everybody else, but it is a thing, right? People want to go to the doctor, show them the card, have a $25 copay or whatever, and that's it. That's just mm-hmm. what they're used to. But it's not the way, that's not the best way to do it by a long shot. And everybody knows that and everybody admits that, but still changing is uncomfortable. So we get that. So on our website, there's lots of videos of what if scenarios. We even do a, a an ankle one. We have like a cancer. What if I get cancer? What if I just cut my finger and need stitches? We have like, I think eight or so examples where we walk through. This is what would happen if this were to happen to you, along with other explanatory videos. So it's a great place to sit down. And if you think about the cost savings, if you're paying, you know, $500 a month for a plan and you could be saving $200 a month, you know, spending 30 minutes researching it or so, it's probably worth your while. So we try to be as open and, and transparent and informative about it as possible. But it, it's a little bit of a leap of faith for people who are just used to one mm-hmm. system. So I'm just curious, how many members do you have right now? So selfemployed.health is relatively new. We, we did something very similar in an association here in Colorado. So they had a lot of members and they were promoting it as a solution for their members. It's the Realtor Association, coincidentally. So a lot of self-employed people. And then this plan, we we repackaged it and made it available for self-employed people. But it's very new. So we're talking like under the self-employed health name, uh, a dozen or so. And that's silly. That sounds like this terrible number. But the system itself is also the same plan that this provider redirect health. They're the ones that run the call center. They've got the doctors on staff. They've got offices in Arizona. And they offer this exact same plan to businesses. And it's the same pool of money. So it's the same plan. And they've got 15,000 plus, I don't know the number, it's in the tens, 15, 20,000 members that are using that, but they're all employees. So this is something that the employer is paying for, for them, but it's the exact same plan, only it's been priced for individuals to enroll one by one, which is where we come in trying to help individuals know that 
hey, you can, this was built with you in mind. And although it works great for employers because employers want to save money and they want to provide a good plan and we can help employers do it too, but that's just not, just don't market that much because my passion is for the people that have a hard time mm-hmm. getting it. And in the Realtor Association, we have lots of people, but that's under a different marketing name that we use. But the self-employed.health, the way that's being rolled out, it's not a new plan, but our the self-employed.health website and Getting this out to individuals is a new thing. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad I know about this now. And like you said, there's a lot of videos and examples on the website, which I saw. I haven't had a chance to go through them yet, but I'm planning to. So selfemployed.health is the place to go. I'll also have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash selfemployedhealth. And was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we end? As if I haven't <laughs> talked enough, Sarah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And and just getting the word out is, that's kind of my job, my passion, my mission. I want, I don't want people to have their kids or themselves. Just like so many other things, it's hard to know the value of your health until you don't have it anymore. And that could be true about yourself, or it could be true about a family member or whatever. But when everything's, when your nose isn't broken, you don't think about having a broken nose, but as soon as it's broken, it's the only thing you can think about. And health is that way. Think of all the things you're trying to do to build your business and you're one accident away from all that collapsing. And that could be true whether you have insurance or not, because I mean, you might have a way to deal with it financially, but I guess I'm just encouraging people take health seriously. And just because you're healthy now, that that doesn't mean that you always will be like, put the seatbelt on now, have a plan in place so that that doesn't ruin your family. And maybe in some extreme cases, it might save your life or your family's life by not having those barriers to address something when it should be addressed, which is early, you know, not when it's this problem that just cannot be ignored anymore. Yeah. I I like that. What you just said, one accident away, that should be like your slogan, one accident or illness away from bankruptcy. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of negative. I don't know if I can deal with that all the time, but yeah, I mean, it, it really is. Yeah, we've said this a few times. It's just, I think of it like a seatbelt. Right. Most insurances are like that. When it becomes a problem, it's mm-hmm. too late. But you have to deal with it while you're healthy. Otherwise, the problem gets bigger. It becomes harder to deal with. And in some cases, you cannot deal with it, which is really important when you're talking about your health or the life of your family mm-hmm. member. Yeah, I feel like this year or, well, last year, 2020 in particular, was probably an eye-opener for a lot of people about how you know, with COVID and everything, how you can be totally healthy. Cause I've heard of tons of people who were totally healthy before and then ended up dying from it or seriously ill. And so, you, yeah, you just never know. It could be any kind of illness or an accident or anything. So you just never know. Yeah. You, you just can't say I'm healthy. So those things aren't going to happen. I mean, certain things are less likely to happen for sure. Try to be healthy. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. Right. But to, but to pretend that you're invincible, that's just dangerous. And, and you think about, I can't make sure that your business survives you losing a leg or, or having a stroke or something. That Nobody can do that. But what you can do is you can take the financial impact of it off the table. If you're self-employed and you're, well, let's say you don't have employees, right? It's just you. If you're out of commission or unavailable, that's going to hurt your bottom mm-hmm. line. So you want to add on, on top of dealing with a sickness, you want to add also a $10,000 deductible, or that's even the low end of the scale of what could go wrong. Because like in my case, the money thing, I don't don't care about that anymore. I'm just glad that my daughter, like I I thank God every day that I got to spend only $10,000. You know, I think of it sometimes, this is kind of dark, but as a dad, you think this way, that $10,000 might've been spent on a funeral, Mm -hmm. right? I'm happy to have spent that $10,000 on 
helping my daughter get healthy again. But I was lucky in that case. Not everybody has that choice. So, I mean, if anything, I'm not here to necessarily sell my product and make sure that uh, and tell everybody that it's better than every other option they have. The main point is take that stuff seriously because you never know when it's going to hit you and you're not immune to that. And I was here talking about my daughter, but it, it that could have been me and that would have been, I, I wish it would have been me. I, I, I said that so many times in my rantings to God and through my tears, like just put this on my shoulders, please. It, I deserve it. I was the one that made this mistake. And of course, life doesn't work that way, but you're not really thinking rationally in those situations. So the, the most important message that I want to get across is take that seriously. Find a solution that works. Don't go naked. Get something that works and value your health because as soon as you don't have it or if you have a scare like we had, you're reminded that it's the most important mm -hmm. thing, the most important mm -hmm. thing. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today, and I'm definitely going to check out those videos and keep this in mind for the day when I do become self-employed. Well, good luck to you. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for doing this. And well, that, that, that's it. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. And hopefully that has an impact and helps at least one person out there uh, avoid some kind of tragedy, right? That's what I'm hoping for. And again, that website is selfemployed.health. Yeah, it's not a .com. It's just selfemployed.health. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.